Welcome to Tokyo Game Life, a Tokyo-based video game podcast focusing on Nintendo and gaming culture in Japan's capital. Your host, Mono, here to bring you a slice of gaming life from Tokyo. It's finally here, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I'm joined by three, count them, three special guests to chat about the newest Zelda epic from Nintendo. Dale from Dale Plays Games, who was on my Zelda Predictions episode, Genki, who was on the Kirby and Square Enix Cafe episodes, and Kyoto Gamer, who joined me to chat about Super Nintendo World, all return as we dive into perhaps one of the biggest games ever. And we also share our experiences with the launch of the game in Japan in the feature section. Who was able to grab the fabled Master Sword and the even more legendary Banana Milk? Let's get right into it. The big chat on Tears of the Kingdom with Dale, Genki, and Kyoto Gamer. Tokyo Game Life, only on the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is finally here. It's a game too big for one person, so I'm joined by not one, not two, but three special guests, all returning ones at that. Let's just go in alphabetical order. A, B, C, D. Dale, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, Dale here from DPG, Dale Plays Games and Open World Japan. I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom since launch day and I just cannot put it down. (laughs) Next up is Genki. Tell us who you are. Hey, I'm Genki. I tweet stuff on Twitter and I have a small YouTube channel called Genki Gamer. And yeah, I've been enjoying the launch of Tears of the Kingdom as well. And finally, someone not in Tokyo, we have Kyoto Gamer. Hi, everyone. Great to be back. And yes, I'm mainly on Instagram and I focus more on retro gaming, but I do make exceptions for Zelda games. Awesome. We've gathered here today to chat about Tears of the Kingdom. Let's get some brief impressions before we really dive in. What do you guys think about the game so far? So far, I've just been completely blown away by almost every aspect of the game. For me, Breath of the Wild was already a perfect game. And now playing this, it's like every aspect of Breath of the Wild has been improved, refined, iterated on, and it's even more special. So I'm just finding it impossible to put down and just loving every moment of it. Yeah, I'm super impressed as well with how much it's evolved and and how much they're really innovating, especially in terms of the gameplay, how many new mechanics and the crazy things you can do and how it lets you use your imagination. So yeah, that's what I'm really impressed by at the moment. It's, yeah, out of this world. I mean, I'm calling it now. It's going to be game of the year. As the others have said, there's just so much with the new mechanics, the map, the new... I mean, they they had six years to work on it. And you can tell they spent six years just crafting as beautifully as they could a, a video game. For me, I'm surprised about how fresh the world feels. I think a lot of people were skeptical about using the same Hyrule But here it feels like a completely new map, despite knowing where a lot of the landmarks are. Let's go back to the beginning. We had a very AAA-style walk-and-talk section, which is pretty unorthodox for Zelda. How did you guys feel about that? Yeah, I was a little bit surprised. And I was especially surprised to see that you start with 20 hearts and a full stamina wheel. So my immediate thought was, oh, that's not going to last long. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I was super impressed with opening as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Sony's first-party games, like your Last of Us and God of Wars. So yeah, it kind of reminded me of those kind of how those games open. And yeah, it gave it that more AAA cinematic feel to me. So that's quite impressive, especially from a Zelda game, which you're not really looking for those kind of things usually in a Zelda game. So yeah, the opening of this game is like super impressive. 
I loved it. I mean, I thought it was really cool the way you, the further you go down, the audio, you know, the the mood slowly and slowly grows as as you go further into this sort of almost like a dungeon, I guess, underneath the castle. And I thought, yeah, as Dale was saying with the hearts, I was thinking, oh, is this going to be like a symphony of the night type thing where you start with full power and they're going to strip it away? And then, but yeah, so it was great. I I was just couldn't wait to go further down and see what was down there waiting for me. Yeah, I initially expected that we would just start in the sky, but this time it was very directed. It kind of reminded me of the opening of Super Mario Galaxy, which opens up at the festival. But after that opening, you're brought to the Great Sky Island, which is this game's version of the Great Plateau. What did you guys think about the Great Sky Island as a tutorial area? I think what struck me the most is just how much it parallels the Great Plateau in the first game. It really felt like you were doing that same thing again, but with a new twist. Instead of the King of Hyrule, you've got Ralru who's helping you. The way that the first game would teach you the, the Sheikah runes, this is teaching you the new abilities you have. And I felt like it paralleled it really closely, but didn't feel repetitive. So I was very surprised at that. Yes, I agree with that. I think I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be exactly like Breath of the Wild with the how we learn the abilities. But I found just getting used to the new abilities because I just before I, I bought it, I played a lot of Breath of the Wild. So I think there was sort of like I sort of had to go back to square one and forget everything that I'd you know learned and practiced beforehand and sort of just forget about the last game and remember that I'm playing a brand new game with new abilities and different things. Oh yeah, like Dale said, I found it great how it like mimicked the Great Plateau from Breath of the Wild. And it was just like a free training area where you could like just practice the new abilities and the new controls. And I haven't played Breath of the Wild for quite a while, like a couple of years. So like I had to get used to the buttons, you know, jump being on the top and you know, all the other controls. But I felt the Sky Island was like a good little play area where you could get used to the abilities and like jumping off the different island levels and skydiving and building things. So yeah, I thought it was a really good tutorial area to start the game off. Yeah, an absolutely necessary one, I think, especially I hadn't played Breath of the Wild for a while either. And even if I had, I still think Ultra Hand would have taken a lot of getting used to. Like I'm still getting used to using that. It does feel very different to anything from Breath of the Wild. Yeah, it's structured in a very similar way to the Great Plateau in that it has four shrines that you need to complete. And then when you do that, you're able to jump off and just go to Hyrule. But I feel like it was much more linear compared to the Great Plateau. Something that I've noticed about the game's main story in general is that it's much more straightforward than Breath of the Wild. I think that's kind of a good thing, though, especially for players who felt that Breath of the Wild was maybe too open. But you can easily just ignore the main story and go off adventuring as well. But back to the Great Sky Island... I really love the aesthetic of it. It had the ginkgo trees, which I think we're all pretty familiar with in Japan. And especially when you get to the top of the island and your objective is to go back down to the Temple of Time with the wing, that part is really amazing because it's the first time in the game where you really feel like, okay, I can see the scope of the island and I can see the scope of the game when you're flying down on that wing. So it has this really incredible moment early on in the first little area. And there are definitely a lot of incredible moments later on in the game as well. Now, I think we should talk about the abilities. We have Ultra Hand, Fuse, Ascend, and Recall. I think the biggest one is definitely Ultra Hand. How do you guys feel about the Ultra Hand implementation in Zelda? And have you guys made any amazing contraptions? 
I'm not a huge crafter in games generally, like when I play other open world games. I'm not really a person to go and build my own stuff so much. But this game really, in a good way, it forces you to use Ultra Hand. A lot of the shrines and things in the game require you to do so. Um, it's a skill that you'll need to learn to play the game. And it's something that for the first few times I was using it, I found very frustrating because I was rotating things and I just couldn't get it to go where I wanted to. And But that frustration sort of waned the more I practiced and the more I got used to it. It's not about the game. It's more about me getting used to the new abilities. And I like it now and I'm getting better at it as time goes on. Ultra Hand, I really love the puzzles that require Ultra Hand in the shrines. When you solve those puzzles, it feels like you're the only person in the world who is able to solve it because often you can solve those puzzles in your own creative way and in unexpected ways. So I really love that. But even more so is the vehicle building aspect. I'm not a very creative person and I play games like Super Mario Maker and I'm terrible at making stuff, but I like playing other people's stuff. However, with Tears of the Kingdom, I am loving the vehicle building stuff. Like the other day when I was at work, I was just thinking all day, oh man, I really, I really want to try to build a really tall car. Like I had this idea in my head, like, okay, if I make this really tall car, I can use Ascend to get to the top of it and then ride around on it. So as, as, as soon as I got home, I did that. I made this really, really tall car and it was really funny. And I drove it around having time in my life. And I went up a small hill, it, it fell over. I set it on fire and then I went and did something else. Just doing that is insanely fun to me. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the ultra hand ability and I thought it was really cool. As soon as I got to Hyrule, I found the wheels and the boards and then I made like a car straight away. And yeah, I just messed around making different vehicles and stuff and I thought it was really cool. And then attaching as many fans as possible as I could to the back of it. It's really creative. Uh, yeah, it takes a while to get used to like rotating the different parts and stuff. But I had some experience with like doing 3D modeling. So yeah, it kind of works the same way as that in terms of the different axes that you have and how you rotate it. So once you get your head around it, as you said, it becomes a bit more easier to place the parts. Yeah, I think the thing a lot of people struggle with is the rotation aspect because you're thinking of it like 360 degrees, which it is not. It's like an XY axis and then you need to shift it 90 degrees each time. And once I figured that out, that it kind of rotates in relation to where you are, then I understood, okay, I can press down twice and then right twice, and it'll go to where I want it. I feel like I might be a little bit far in the game, so I don't want to spoil exactly, but there are certain weaponized devices, I'll say, which are incredibly fun to use when you're out in the wild wanting to kill a group of monsters. There are some certain attachments that you can use, which make link go on a absolute killing spree with monsters and those are incredibly fun to use <laughs> i really like the flamethrower like the dragon head device and yeah that was really cool like just attaching it to my shield and then uh you just go up to the enemies and you shield and then it automatically shoots flames at them attaching stuff to these different zonai devices to your weapons and to your shield i thought that was really cool yeah, I'm always surprised about how many Zonai devices there are. Every time I go to a new gacha machine or gumball machine, it's always something new. And sometimes it's a bit like unorthodox. But I think the fan is definitely one of the most versatile ones in the game. If you have the fan, you can really do a lot. That ties in with like the fuse system where you can combine different things with your weapons. And not only you, but the enemies can also do it. So it's often fun to come across the constructs. And yeah, one will have a flamethrower. 
Another's will have a laser, which is something that is really unexpected. So even though you're fighting the same enemies, you never know what they might have. The fuse system, I think, is a way to answer a lot of the criticisms from Breath of the Wild, because some people hate the weapon breaking. But I really loved the weapon breaking because I thought the game was kind of built around it. Uh, but this time they thought, okay, we'll make a way to make weapons more durable, yet it's they still break, though. And however, you can still make really customizable weapons. Have you guys made any like cool fuse weapons or anything like that? I'll talk about something that's slightly different with the arrows. I was fighting a Stalnox, which were in the first game as well, the Breath of the Wild. I just couldn't kill him. And I was just running around and I had no good weapons. And I was looking through my inventory, just shooting anything with with the arrows, combining different monster parts. Some of them did absolutely nothing. Some of them seemed more effective. And that was, I mean, it was slightly stressful because I, I didn't want to die, but it was just sort of fun going through everything and just randomly throwing stuff on my arrows and shooting them at the at the massive Stalnox chasing after me. So I mean, it's it's fun, and it, I'm trying to avoid any of you know the online information of what arrows or what weapons are the best. I'm I'm trying to discover that for myself, and it's a lot of fun doing so. I think so far I really enjoy like just fusing stuff to the shield, and then seeing what you can do with that. You can fuse the minecart to your to your shield, and then use it to grind the rails or to ride the train tracks and stuff like that. So I thought that that kind of stuff is really cool. And also you can fuse a bomb to your shield and do this cool bomb jump <laughs> into the air. You jump onto your shield and then the bomb explodes under you and then you fly up into the air. And there's loads of things you can do by fusing stuff to your shield. And just like trying to fuse everything <laughs> to anything else is just really interesting. Yeah, and I like it when you fuse something that kind of matches. For example, if you fuse a sword with the Zonai construct horn, like the whole sword will turn into that horn. So it looks like, oh, I made a secret custom weapon. So we talked about Ultra Hand Fuse. What about Ascend? This is something that I think a lot of people are maybe not using or kind of forgot about, but it is quite useful. What do you guys think about the Ascend Tower? I mean, I find it fantastic. I use it quite a lot. And I, I feel the same way. I didn't use it that much at the beginning because I did, I did forget about it. But mm. you do enough of the shrines where you have to use Ascend to get through them. And it really reminds you that it's there. And now that when I'm exploring the world... I do use the Ascend a lot. And I think a lot of people aren't realizing you can use Ascend in conjunction with other things. Like, as I said earlier, the vehicle I was building to get to the top of it, I needed to use Ascend. When I had that realization that, oh, I can use Ascend on a vehicle that I'm making, it does add a little bit more creativity to your tool set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really like a note clip that they, they put into the game. Oh yeah, I really like the Ascend ability. It took me a while to get used to it mm. and to remember to use it. But yeah, I was using it a lot in the the Sky Island. And then I ascended from like the, the kind of temple you're in at the beginning. And then and I ascended to the top of that and I found a Korok. <laughs> so that was like really interesting. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, I ascended like right to the top of the Sky Islands. And mm. I found like a Korok in like a pool. And then, yeah, I thought that was really cool. You can find like lots of secrets using the Ascend ability. I, I've used it a bit. I was exploring through the kind of the remains of Hyrule Castle that are still, you know, on the ground there. And as I was going through sort of this underground area, I, I kept sort of trying different places and sort of popping up to see what was there. And sometimes I just pop up on just like a normal road that, mm. you know, that was on the ground. Or other times I was able to find a few kind of sort of secret areas. And it was fun just 
trying it over and over in different spots and looking for secret rooms with maybe new armor that I wanted to get or things like that. I'm having fun with it for sure. Yeah, it's definitely more versatile than I think a lot of people think. And yeah, you can use it in combat scenarios quite often, especially I don't know if you guys have fought the flux construct, like the big box guy. He was in the trailer, but you can use ascend on like some of the bigger enemies, which is a bit interesting. Oh, I didn't uh, even know that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the box guy, maybe some other ones. But yeah, you can use it more often than you, you would think. Oh, okay. And the final one is recall, which kind of not rewinds time, but rewinds momentum. And this is one of the more, I think, trickier abilities. You normally just use it for puzzles where it's like, okay, this platform is going this way and I want it to go this way, so I'll send it backwards. But you can also use it for some other things as well. What do you guys think about recall? To be honest, I haven't really used it too much mm. other than the points in the game where they make it sort of clearly obvious that you need to use it. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of looking for, and maybe I should think about it more often in situations when I'm exploring or in battle of how to use it more, because I think it's one, the of all the abilities, it's the one I'm using the least. And it seems like it has a lot more potential than I have figured out so far. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that people figured out is that you can recall things you moved in Ultra Hand. Mm. For example, if you like yeah. lift up a plank of wood and drop it with Ultra Hand, if you hit recall, it will go up to where it was lifted with Ultra Hand. So you can kind of make like a flowing platform or I guess like an elevator just through the combination of Ultra Hand and recall. And I saw some other really silly ones where people made like a big log and they spun it around. And then they summoned like a Hinox was coming and they used recall to spin the log and the log was just hitting the Hinox over and over again. So you can make a lot of like weird weapons with it as well. Ginky, do you use recall often or what are your thoughts on it as a mechanic? Oh yeah, I thought it was really cool. I've been using it, like you said, as the elevator in the, the <laughs> oh, yes. different shrines and stuff. Yeah, so like you see something really high up, but you have no way to get up there. I just like take out a fan then lift up with ultra hand, put it back down, jump on, and then you recall, <laughs> and it becomes elevator, and I can just yeah. go up. Do they know that we could do this? But I'm confident that they're like, yeah, we know that you're able to do this, and we don't care. Or actually, it's awesome that you're doing that, and we're going to reward you for figuring it out. Yeah, that's the cool thing about this game. It just lets you solve the puzzles in any way you want. There's not one single way mm. to solve the puzzle. Like, this, they'll just let you use your own creativity and imagination. And there's like hundreds of different ways you can solve the puzzles in the game. Yeah, and not just the puzzles, but also traversal. Like if there's a gap you want to clear, you can make a gigantic bridge, you could make a flying machine, you could like do so many other things. So every single thing that this game has, combat, adventuring, puzzles, there's so many different ways to do it, which is I think something that's really connecting with everybody. Just on recall, I'd actually never thought to use it as an elevator, as you guys were describing, yeah. so I think I'll try that next. But I think things like that, I think recall is going to become a very controversial feature of the game, mm. because I think this this feature has the potential to break the game the most. Mm. And I think as the years go by, this is going to, kind of like stasis in Breath of the Wild, people are finding more and more ways to break it and be silly with it. I think this is going to be that game's mechanic. Over the coming months, we're going to see very new creative ways of using recall, and it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, I'm excited, especially for the the Japanese players. They're the ones on the forefront of yeah. figuring stuff out. Yeah, 
it'll be that combination of ultra hand and recall for sure you know so there are three distinct areas in this game the sky the surface and the underground where are you guys spending most of your time i've been spending most of my time on just the ground of hyrule i think it's my favorite part of the game so far i've done a bit of the underground stuff and that was that was eye opening like i was like oh wow I've got a lot to learn down here. There's a lot, there's a lot of new game mechanics and oh, yeah. bad guys that I'm not quite ready for. And so that, so that was a bit of a learning experience going down there. But the further I went into it, I was learning and getting better and I really enjoyed it. But I think I just mm. like how much Hyrule has changed. As I said, I played the game like the week before and the last few months I've been playing Breath of the Wild to, to get ready for this. And I was like, wow, yes. I, I don't even know where I am on the map right now. And I've been playing this game for two months prior, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm lost. Where am I? So I just, just that was one of my kind of concerns or curiosities about the game. Is like, how are they going to change the map? How are they going to make this game different from Breath of the Wild? And, um, well, as I guess we all know, they've they've completely changed things. Not so much that it's unrecognizable, but to the point where you're playing a new game, <laughs> you know. Definitely. That's the thing that I was also worried about because if you think about it, if you've played Breath of the Wild a lot, you know that, oh, there's a Kakariko village. You know that there's a Hateno village. You know that there's dueling peaks. These things are not going to be new to you because you've seen them in Breath of the Wild. So I was worried that, oh, are they able to have that same feeling of like discovering dueling peaks for the first time or climbing up Death Mountain for the first time? And I think they do because so much in the world has changed in terms of it just feels way more dense. They put so many things in there that you're always just like your head is spinning around like 360 degrees because you're getting distracted all the time. And even if you go to these familiar places like Hateno Village, I, I won't spoil it in case you guys haven't been there. But even though the you know the buildings are kind of in the same place, but the whole situation is totally changed and it's just like a totally new town almost. Okay, yeah, the topography is the same, but everything on it is going to be wildly different. I feel exactly the same. It does feel like a completely new world. Like I am spending most of the time on the surface too because I want to discover what's different. And like you said, not just Hateno Village, but every major location from Breath of the Wild is back, but each one has some new twist. And each time I, I go to one of these places, I want to see what the new twist is. So that's been a lot of fun. Oh yeah, same as well. I've also been spending most of my time in Hyrule because it's been so long since I played uh, Breath of the Wild. Like, of course, I know like roughly where the things are, but just going back to those areas and then like it recollecting my memories of playing Breath of the Wild, but also adding all these new elements in. So that's been really interesting to discover that. And yeah, so I've just been enjoying my time running around Hyrule and collecting stuff. Yeah, I think same here. I think just naturally you're drawn to the ground because, you know, that's where people are and that's where a lot of the quests are. So if you like the quest aspects of Legend of Zelda, you're probably staying on the ground. But I definitely think don't ignore the sky. It's kind of interesting how they're structured, where the sky is like heavily puzzle-based and the ground is more for like your adventuring and questing. And the underground is a lot of combat and a lot of difficult situations. A lot of scary stuff is happening down there. So I quite like the sky because every time you go to a sky archipelago, it is like a big puzzle and you have to figure out, okay, how are you going to traverse it? And you often get something good like a shrine or especially you unlock new Zonai gumball machines 
And then you can get brand new Zonai parts, which, you know, breaks open the game as well. And I've done all the towers. That's something I try to do, you know, oh, as soon as possible. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> uh, and, oh, really? <laughs> because actually, when I played Breath of the Wild, before I even went to Kakariko Village, I did all mm. the towers. So before I even got the camera in Breath of the Wild, I did all the towers because I just wanted to climb them. And the towers, they, I guess this is a slight spoiler, they shoot you up into the sky. So you can more easily traverse the sky through the towers, or at least they give you a good starting point where you can kind of maneuver over to a different sky island. And then from that sky island, you can kind of hop your way to other parts. The way the sky islands are situated is that each kind of tower has its kind of own set of sky islands. So you shoot yourself up and then you kind of navigate through there and do some sort of big puzzle. But I really like the look of the sky islands and a lot of the puzzles are really interesting because not just, oh, push this block over here. You have to think about, okay, how am I going to traverse a half mile upwards in the sky? And you're giving some tools and you've got to figure it out as well. And I haven't spent a whole lot of time in the underground, only maybe at 20 minutes, but this is definitely one of the more shocking elements of the game. Just the huge scope of it and just the, the crazy stuff that's down there. Have you guys ventured in the, to the underground a bit at all? Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time down there the last couple of days I've played. But I remember my first experience going down there, going into one of the chasms. I thought it was a legitimately terrifying experience because mm. <laughs> it's completely dark. Everything down there is incredibly strong. So at the beginning, I, I think most players will avoid the depths for some time. But now that I've built up a bit of extra health, understand what the game is, I've been doing a bit of exploring down there. And without spoiling anything, there is actually some really cool stuff down there. Mm. So I'm actually having a lot of fun down there right now. Yeah, as Dale was saying, I think it definitely pays to to go down there and explore. I was playing yesterday and I recently got some pretty cool stuff as well. I won't say what it is cuz just in case, but <laughs> I, you know, I ventured further on and further on and I kept exploring. Um it paid off cuz there there's some pretty cool stuff down there. And what's that red stuff called the the is, I'm not sure if this is a spoiler or not. The gloom, yeah. Not I malice. Mean, Don't call it malice. It's, it's gloom. Um, it's totally different. That was something a bit surprising. I was like, oh, I got my first battle with some in the underground with some, a few monsters. And I'm like, what happened to my heart? <laughs> I didn't really notice it at first because I was sort of concentrating on the fighting. And then, and then I was sort of in a panic, like, oh, great. Now I've got to find more shrines or what do I have to do to get my hearts back? And I eventually figured it out, but it was a bit nerve-wracking, mm. to say the least. What about you, Genki? Have you gone underground yet? Oh, no, not yet. I've uh, been spending mm. my time running around Hyrule. <laughs> I didn't get to the bit where you go down there yet, but I've been hearing a lot of things about it, and yeah, it's, it's exciting. The environments are so vast that mm. they have like three different tiers, and they're all really massive, and it's just exciting to know that the game is so expansive and has so much more than Breath of the Wild. So yeah, I can't wait to venture Yeah, one there. interesting criticism that I heard often for Breath of the Wild is that there's not a whole lot of interior areas. And For example, a lot of people said, well, there's no caves in Breath of the Wild. You're only exploring the outer part. And at the time I thought, well, of course there's no caves because you can't make a game this scope and put the cave systems in there. But then Nintendo proved me wrong and thought, actually, we're going to make three wholly, completely different levels. And we're going to put like a bunch of cave systems in there. We're going to put a bunch of wells in there. It's insane how dense this game is. Have you guys explored like the caves and the wells at all? Yes, I have. I, I, I tend to find them quite easily. They're absolutely everywhere. Mm. And each, each one has its own little reward. 
Yeah, that's quite fun. And often if you ascend out of a cave, you'll find another secret area, hmm. which is fun. So it is it is fun seeing just how much they've packed into caves and things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, found, I went down a few wells and yeah, I thought that was really cool that you could do that. And you can just find different things there. It's really amazing how much they've expanded on the Breath of the Wild. And like, um, yeah, I know the Breath of hmm. the Wild was like also on the Wii, the Wii U. So like just being moving over to the Switch and spending six years developing it, they could add so much more that it's kind of hard to imagine fits on like this small little Switch cart. But yeah, there works miracles with this game and it's like really, yeah, it's just really surprising me how much depth there is to it, just exploring like the caves and the skies so far. Yes, I think it's definitely worth exploring caves and wells and anywhere you can go in. There's, as we all know, there's some new creatures down there to fight. (laughs) And that was sort of surprising the first time I, I encountered them. I didn't know what to do, but, you know, after a few battles and stuff, you you tend to figure things out. And just all the new resources and creatures and animals down there, it was, yeah, very fascinating just to, to see it all. And as you guys said, it's just, you know, they've added all that, not only the underground part of the game, but the caves as well. It's just, there's just so much to do. Yeah, it's really like overwhelming at times because I was thinking about, okay, what should I do? Should I go to the the great fairies or, oh, should I try to do this treasure hunt? There's some X's marked on my map or, oh, actually there's some shrines over here and I have a bunch of quests that aren't done yet. Or, oh, maybe I should go back to the sky or, oh, I need to go down underground. It's, it's really overwhelming at times, but in a, in a totally good way. Definitely spoiled for choices. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yeah, I really love, this sounds weird, but the wells are one of my favorite parts of the game. Every time I come across a well, I'm so excited because you really have no idea what's down there. Sometimes it's just like one room, but sometimes it's like a cave system. Or I've seen I've seen a pumpkin patch down there. I've seen like another person. There's one that only has like a cuckoo. That's the only thing down there. There's others that have like treasure chest and like interconnected with other wells. It's just really crazy. And this is something so silly. Like why would they put wells that you can jump down to into the game? But they did it and it's just so fun. Um, I, I feel like the the wells are, is it a slight reference to Ocarina of Time? We had a, a very distinctive well in there that we had yeah. to jump down. I wondered if they were trying to uh, yeah. evoke some of that. Uh, yeah, I wonder as well. These wells are not as creepy, yeah, definitely I think. Not. <laughs> but they're, they're, still, they're still quite fun. So we've been praising the game a lot, but are there any criticisms you have about the game so far? Maybe something they could have improved? The only criticism I have would be a slight technical one. And that is just frame rate in certain areas, especially using mm. Ultra Hand. However, it's not distracting enough to ruin the overall experience. It doesn't prevent any fun. It is a little bit noticeable, but that's that's all it is, just noticeable. It, it's not a experience-ruining problem. Oh, yeah. For me, it's hard to criticize a game when it's doing like so many like amazing and groundbreaking things. Yeah. Mm. So, like... Like, yeah, I have to be, like, super nitpicky to criticize Same, anything. right. <laughs> As Dale mentioned, the performance or frame rate issues or, like, could be something that people would could nitpick at. But, yeah, apart from that, it's just blowing my mind, like, all the things you can do in the game. So it's, like, really hard to find criticisms at the moment. Right. What about you, Kyoto Gamer? Is there anything that you think could be improved or something you want changed? I mean, people who criticize this game will be people who don't like 
certain aspects of it. For mm. example, they don't like the whole, I've got to craft weapons. Why, why am I only finding swords that have a, a power of six or seven? What, what's yeah. the deal? Mm. I don't, I don't like that. So, I mean, for me, it's an adjustment. I'm, I had to get used to that. As I, as I said, I've been playing a lot of Breath of the Wild before, and I was, you know, finding weapons. I'm like, how come I can't find any better weapons? And I'm like, okay. After playing a few hours, I sort of figured it out. Okay, they want me to use the the fuse ability. They they're forcing my hand, and I get it, and I'm understanding the game. So I think anyone who criticizes it, maybe they just can't wrap their head around a certain ability or they don't like the ability just the way in breath of the wild people didn't like the the breaking of weapons mm. i mean i didn't mind that i got used to it it made me appreciate the powerful weapons that i did find and save them for an important battle or a sticky situation that i got into so i think sure there are little things you could argue are could be improved like frame rate but you know the switch is getting old so I think for this size of game on the Nintendo Switch, what is it, six years old now? I mean, it's doing a pretty good job. I think so. So, no, no real complaints. Are you pressing up a lot to use your abilities? Yes. (laughs) For me, at least, every time I want to use my abilities, because it's on L, I instinctively want to press up because I believe in Breath of the Wild, that's where your abilities were. So I have a lot of like accidental up presses so far. I will say that there is a bit of getting used to with the buttons. So, for example, if I'm using Ultra Hand and then I'm rotating it with the R button and then I'm doing something else and I'm I'm accidentally, you know, firing an arrow or <laughs> throwing my weapon by accident. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't want to do that. And, uh, so it's just me getting used to the game and the new controls. It's not it's not a criticism of the game at all. It's just, yeah, it's a new game and I've I've got to adjust myself. Yeah, I had that as well, like getting used to the buttons. Mm. And the controls are quite complex. They're not as simple as other games with the weapon wheel. And there's like eight different directions or something. Or like, there's like a lot of different directions compared to before where you just had the four different abilities things. And with the button presses, like I was, once I was trying to make a, a vehicle and instead of picking up the plank with the ultra hand, I'd like smashed it with my... With my, like a boulder sword and I was like oh no and then like the, the plank just broke into pieces and I was like oh no so yeah there's a bit of getting used to the buttons it's just a bit complicated but it's still really good yeah there's a lot you can do in the game so there's only so many buttons I don't want to say clunky but yeah I'm not used to it I wonder if there is like a better way to do that but I can't think of one but they're using really every button so unless they release an eight button switch controller I think they're doing you know as best as they can at least some of the awkwardness about buttons is mitigated because it always displays what button you need to press on the screen, which yes. I found really useful. Like whenever you open Ultra Hand, it will display in the heads-up display what button does what. Like same when you're changing arrows or materials to throw, it will always tell you hmm. what button does what. And I often find myself looking at that because <laughs> I still can't remember what button does what. Today's show is brought to you by Epos Gaming Audio. With a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, EPOS has everything you need to experience the power of audio, like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset. The closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise, while the open version delivers natural high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RGB configurations, just good design. 
Listeners can save 15% by visiting eposaudio.com slash gaming and entering code EPOSFRIEND15 at the checkout. In a world of podcasts, only three men are willing... Well, well dude, what are you doing, James? You told me to do the, the promo for the podcast, right? That's what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we could actually tell people about what we are. I mean, we're the Famicast. We're a bi-weekly show. We talk about Nintendo and games in Japan. Uh, I'm Danny, and uh, that was James, and we got another guy. What, who are you again? I, uh, I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm the saboteur. I'm the, the henchman. I'm the, the interloper. That's uh, that's Ty. He is our anime trash expert. <laughs> Digs around in some UFO catchers for it. Check us out. We're in Japan. We like Nintendo most of the time. The Famicast, only on the Tokyo Beat Network. Let's go back to the praise. So I want to hear about what are your favorite moments in the game so far? Like something that you've encountered or some experience you had? What has really stuck out with you when you're playing the game? There's a few kind of like at the beginning of the game, some iconic moments as we've already talked about just the opening when you go down into the depths of Hyrule Castle. That's that's a mm. pretty cool opening of the game. And then when you're on the Sky Island and you finally get to jump off into the air and fly down to Hyrule. That was also a, such an awesome moment. You know it's going to come and you know it's happening yeah, as when you finally finish this you know, tutorial part of the game. And for me, those the opening and the, the skydiving moment, for me, those were probably, I'm still early in the game. So for me, those are probably the two biggest moments up to the, up to the point that I'm at in the game. What about you, Genki? What is something that stuck out for you? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm still at the beginning of the game, so yeah, I would like to say the opening as well, especially the part where you jump off into the sky and then the credits, mm, yes. and the, the big logo comes up. I just got goosebumps all over, and I was just like, Ooh. <laughs> and then it goes, and then it goes, and then you like land into the lake area, and yeah, I just got goosebumps that whole time, and I was like, whoa, this is an amazing opening, and yeah, and ever since, yeah, it's just been like just discovering little things in the game has just been really really cool but yeah i'm still early on so i'm really interested in the story like how it connects to past zelda games and but at the moment i'm just exploring stuff but yeah i'm really interested to get into the story later on what about you Dale? you're pretty far ahead of most of us but what's like one standout moment that you've had one standout moment well yeah like the other guy said the intro is a real standout moment but for me it's just puzzles i'm a huge puzzle guy games with puzzles are just my absolute go-to and the way that this game does puzzles is so satisfying every shrine i go to whenever i enter a new shrine i keep thinking okay i hope this is a puzzle i hope this is a puzzle and if it's a combat shrine i'm like ah combat shrine i really wanted a puzzle because doing those puzzles and solving those puzzles for me there's just nothing more rewarding and satisfying that was already a good part of Breath of the Wild. And now to see that back again and improved using these new abilities, it's just been an absolute trip. I just love it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I do like the combat shrines a bit because I guess this is a slight spoiler, is that they are different from the Breath of the Wild combat shrines. It's not just you fighting a guardian over and over again. They have a twist on it, uh, which is quite interesting. And I have been Mm. skill-checked a bit. So there is one shrine that I just bailed out of because I thought, I'm not good enough to, to do this right now in terms of the combat. For me, one of my great moments I want to share, it is a bit spoilery, so I won't go into it so deeply about like the specifics, but I think the escalation of this game is just unbelievable. I had a quest to you know get some honey, and it was near a chasm. So I'll just go get some honey and then bring it back. So I was collecting honey, and something 
urged me to go into the chasm. So I went down to the chasm and I was down there for maybe like 10 minutes. And then when I, I exited the chasm and then I ended up uh, on the top of Mount Lanayru, like the, the tallest mountain in the game. And then from Mount Lanayru, I went to the sky. And then in the sky, there's like a mission I found where you snowboard. So I snowboarded back down to the surface. So I went from collecting honey to snowboarding down from the sky. So this, like, you never know what's going to happen when you're playing the game because the escalation of, like, the missions or just being distracted or the way you can traverse it is just unbelievable. And so that honey to snowboard mm. is not even a quest. It's not a directed experience. It's something I just stumbled upon. And I have so many others I could share, but that's just one that really stands out for me. One thing I want to touch on a little bit is that the dungeons, they are a, a bit similar to the ones in Breath of the Wild in terms of the structure, I guess. But Dale, what do you think about the dungeons compared to Breath of the Wild? I don't want to say too much. I do like the idea, especially what they're named. I won't say what they're named, but what they're named was a really satisfying yes. moment. And the theming of each one is really nice. And I do like that they have a you have a companion with you each time and it's about mm. using that companion to overcome the obstacles that are in that that are in that dungeon. Just one slight thing is that each one of the dungeons yes. follows the same format, which is I'm 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 still deciding how I feel about that. I think I'll wait until I've finished the game before I decide whether I think that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. I'm still not really sure how I feel about each one following the same kind of format, mm. but at least they look di very distinct and at least they have different puzzle solving and mechanics to each one. Yeah, I've done the the Rito dungeon, which is, I think, the first dungeon that they kind of direct you towards. Yeah, I did that one too. And yeah, if you think about it as like, okay, the dungeon starts when you're in the dungeon. It is maybe a bit, I guess, short or the format is not the same as like a past Zelda dungeon. But for me, I try to think of it like the dungeon is kind of getting to the dungeon and doing the dungeon as one big thing. So I won't go into spoilers, but like the trek to the Rito dungeon was incredible for me. Yeah, uh, and it's because, quite long. Yeah, it's quite long. It takes a while. But like, I really, I don't want to spoil it, but there is an amazing escalation. And a thing that's a bit changed from Breath of the Wild is that the dungeons are seamless. Like, it's not like yeah. Breath of the Wild where you talk to like Sidon and then he warps you to like this directed gameplay sequence and then you enter like the beast. You could, I guess, technically walk to the dungeon from like wherever you are if you know where to go. There's nothing that mm -hmm. kind of like, well, I guess you need to like meet up with your buddy because your buddy does help you, but you could still probably find a way to do it even without that, I'm sure. You could maybe stumble in there. So like entering that first dungeon, I think, Dale, you know what I'm talking about. When you first yeah. see the dungeon, it's just like, my mind exploded because I can't believe I was doing this in a Zelda game. And also Same. that first boss is incredible. I, I hope the other ones are even half as good. Then I'll be satisfied. I don't want to hype it up too much, but I loved that first dungeon, even though, yeah, it is like the same format, kind of similar what you did to the divine beast. So some people might not be like gel with that, but I, I, I love the whole experience from like going to like the Rito village, going to where the dungeon is doing the dungeon as one big thing i totally loved it yeah i think i think when you do consider it as part of the whole quest the whole dungeon it makes sense i will say that one of the dungeons i did the whole lead up to it wasn't as long as as the rito one 
And another one of the dungeons I did, or that whole quest line, I did some of it out of sequence. I, I met one character before I was supposed to have met another character. Mm. But what I really enjoyed is that the dialogue accounts for that. So oh. I met one character before I was meant to meet another character. And he that character said, oh, you should... You didn't go and speak to this character? Oh, why don't you do that? And then I went and spoke to that character, and that character said, oh, you mean you've already met that character? Of course you would do that, Link. It's <laughs> like I really liked that the dialogue accounted for players doing things in a different order or accidentally doing something out of the intended order. So before we get into our feature, do we have any closing thoughts on Tears of the Kingdom? I know it's not technically closing. We have a lot of gameplay left, but anything that... You want to share about Tears of the Kingdom or your final thoughts on it so far? I'm just super excited to keep adventuring on in the in this mm. new Hyrule and to still discover the story. And yeah, it's really amazing what they've done. The director, uh, Fujibayashi and uh, Jiyawanuma, what they've done with this game. Like how they've really pushed the envelope and they're creating new like gameplay experiences for everyone. Yeah, I'm just really excited by this game and I can't wait to play more. As Genki was saying, I just can't wait to play more. And for me, it's just finding time to actually have a good session of game where I can sit down and do a lot at one time. I'm finding it difficult to do that at the moment, but I can't wait to do more. I feel like this is for the Nintendo Switch. This is like the Nintendo's kind of swan song sort of thing for the console. And it feels like, like just... You know, it started with Breath of the Wild, and I feel like mm. we're ending with Tears of the Kingdom. I, I have a feeling this is going to be the end, you know, and what an ending it is. I mean, from what I've played in the game, I'm I'm just loving everything, and I just can't wait to do more. Yeah. You know, they really should have released this game maybe before Golden Week. That would have been more convenient for us. <laughs> so I had the same thought. <laughs> what about you, Dale? What are your, I guess, your quote-unquote final thoughts on Tears of the Kingdom? Yeah, like I said at the beginning, it's something that I just cannot tear myself away from. It's just consuming my thoughts, my dreams constantly, and I'm enjoying every moment. The way that combat, puzzle solving, exploration, discovery, and storytelling all come together into this experience. It reminded me of when I was a child, thinking about the potential that games have to do all these amazing things. And I always wanted this game where you could just go into a big world, run around, do whatever you want, and have it be fun. And this is that game. I, I think this is already one of the best games I've ever played. It's already one of my favorites. And I think this will be another one of those games, just like Breath of the Wild, that will be in the conversation for mm. years to come, especially when it comes to talking about open world games. I cannot wait to just keep going. I'm going to spend hundreds mm. of hours in this game. I just know it. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I'm safe with saying this game is already a masterpiece. Definitely a 10 out of 10 game. Uh, I'm totally in love with this game. I had extremely high expectations and it's even exceeded that. So I'm excited to get into it more. So that was our chat on Tears of the Kingdom, but we are going to talk a little bit more about Tears of the Kingdom in Japan in the feature section. <laughs> This episode's feature is about the launch of Tears of the Kingdom in Japan. We're going to chat about banana milk, glow-in-the-dark t-shirts, and more. So we all live in Japan, and I think we all really dove into the Tears of the Kingdom collaborations and marketing experience. So perhaps the biggest collaboration event 
was the Tears of the Kingdom collab with the convenience store chain Lawson. So we all went to Lawson, and I want to hear about your pickups. What did you guys nab at Lawson? Ginky, I think you got the most out of all of us. Yeah, it was the day of they released the goods in Lawson, the Tears of the Kingdom goods. And I was just mm. at home. I'm working from home at the moment. And yeah, it was like lunchtime. And I was like, they have the Ichiban Kuji lottery where you can get all these really cool mm. Zelda merch with like a lottery system and from Lawson, along with the other food items they are doing as well. But yeah, I just mainly went for the, the Ichiban Kuji. And then, yeah, so I ran over there during my lunch break and I was planning to do it 10 times <laughs> but yeah I just did five I, I bought five tickets to the lottery and yeah and then like lucky enough like on the third <laughs> pool awesome. I got the, the master sword the decayed master sword I was like whoa and like the, there was two young ladies <laughs> at the register now like whoa they're like oh wow they were like really shocked that I got it and there was only about 20 to 30 tickets left so you could tell like and it was only lunchtime, so you could tell like a lot of people had been doing it, or had, had uh, taken a lot of the tickets already. <laughs> so yeah, I felt like yeah, the god, like the goddesses of Hyrule, like shined upon me. That's what I wrote in my in my tweet, and I was really lucky to get the decayed master sword. It's really cool. And, uh, and the other items mm. I got were these the notepads and keychains. So they're doing a lot of really cool items. But yeah, I was really happy I could get that like special decayed master sword figure. And yeah, it's it's a really cool item I could pick up. I was quite lucky to get that. What about you, Kyoto Gamer? How was your Lawson pickup? I was working the day and I went at lunchtime to a Lawson and hoping to get some of the items in the Ichiban Kuji sort of lottery game. And I get there and I asked the lady, do you have any of the lottery things? And she said, oh, no, they just sold out. Mm. I was like, ah. And I asked her, how long ago? Did that happen? She said, oh, about 20 minutes ago. Oh. So I'm out. Great. So I was sort of annoyed. You know, I sort of come a fair distance to, to try it. And then so I'm okay, well, they had a few of the food items. So I was able to get pretty much, I think, all of the food items, except for the, I forget what it's called, like the Rito Village, the, the cream soup, the salmon cream stew. I think that was actually from one of the storylines in Breath of the Wild. Mm. The little bird wants the salmon cream stew. So that's the only one I didn't try. But after work, I managed to find another Lawson that actually had the game still tickets available. So I bought one ticket and I got some clear files, hmm. which I had already earlier at lunchtime, I got clear files because they had, if you buy three snacks, you get clear yes. files. And unfortunately, I got a clear file set. So I was like, sort of annoyed. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's try again. Second try. I got a Korok keychain. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I'm like, well, let's see what the next one is. And then I'll play it by ear and see how it goes. So third draw, I got more clear file. <laughs> so I have about 10 Breath of the Wild oh. or Tears of the Kingdom clear files. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we live in Japan, a country that still uses paper, but I think I have a lifetime <laughs> yes, supply. So, so after the, the third one, I just gave up. I said, okay, I'll cut my losses and save the rest of my money. What about you, Dale? How was your Lawson run? Yeah, I, I went to my local Lawson the first day after work. My local Lawson just was not doing the lottery, unfortunately, so they just hadn't been doing it. But I did get a Zelda file for getting the snacks, and I made an Instagram short of me trying the, the fried mm. chicken. That was really nice. It was actually really quite spicy. The mushroom focaccia, that was really good. And the curry 
bread, which was <laughs> absolutely awful. <laughs> I would not recommend that. And they didn't mm. have this banana milk. And a week later, I was in Shibuya after I went to the Nintendo store. I went to a bunch of different Lawson's. I went to eight different Lawson's. And only mm. one of them had the lottery going. And they had a few items left. They didn't have the sword that had long gone, but I got a keychain and I got the stamina vessel keychain, which is what I wanted. So I was really happy, but I've not been able <laughs> to find this banana milk anywhere. I, I've, I've looked at every oh, yeah, single Lawson too. and I'm, I'm convinced it just doesn't exist. <laughs> so, I couldn't find it. The best I could find is like empty aisle with the, the name tag on it uh, with, <laughs> with the price, but there was no banana milk. Yeah. For me, I also went during my lunch break. I think this is a common theme. I went during my lunch break and yeah, I picked up the spicy chicken. I think it's called poka poka chicken. Yeah. So it's like a spicy chicken nuggets or popcorn chicken, which was quite good. And listeners, if you're thinking, why is this Zelda related? Well, Link is on the box. So all this stuff we're talking about is basically just food that they slapped Link on. So I got the chicken. I guess I'm lucky because I did find the banana milk. I found a ton of the banana milk at my local Lawson. So I picked up two. And actually, I drink my last one today. So that's gone forever. But I did go back the next day to Lawson and all the banana milk was gone. So I think that's like a hot item for whatever reason. Mm. I, I got the clear file as well. I just bought three Snicker bars and got a link clear file. And uh, I didn't buy like the focaccia or anything like that. I just went in for the snacks. So I was pretty satisfied on my pickup there. But I did not find the Ichiban Kuji ever. I went to maybe four or five oh. different Lawsons and none had it. Mm. So I just want to give a shout out to 7-Eleven, because I think they do the collabs much better than Lawson does, because when the Splatoon stuff came out, it was very easy to get everything at just one singular 7-Eleven. But Lawson, it's a lot of like shop hopping. Yeah. I think generally that's just a Japan rule. I think out of the three <laughs> convenience store chains, I I consider Lawson to be the bottom of those <laughs> three. So when, when I found out they were doing the Zelda collaboration, I was a little bit disappointed, I think. Yeah, 7-Eleven would have done mm. it better. But yeah, it was still pretty fun. And it's also fun to realize that, oh, other people who are in here right now, they're also probably Zelda fans and they're picking up stuff as well. Yeah. So it's kind of that cool kind of community feeling where it was actually, it's hard to explain, but when a big game comes out in Japan, you kind of feel like the atmosphere of like, oh, other people are excited and mm. you know people are interested in the collabs and everyone's going at the same time. So that's a really fun feeling. Just on that note, can I just say something about the community atmosphere yes. of release day? I'm I'm working at a college and so many of the students I was teaching were talking about Tears of the Kingdom that day. So it was fun to talk about it with them. And when I was on the train home, I saw not one but two people with their copies of it that mm. they just bought at Big Camera and they were just looking at their copies on the train. So there is a bit of an atmosphere on launch day for something like this. And it's, yeah, I would not get this in Australia, which I really like. And the other big thing is that the official Nintendo stores in Tokyo and Osaka got a lot of Tears of the Kingdom merch. Now, I, Dell, and Genki, we went to Nintendo Tokyo at three separate times. We'll share our individual stories. Kyoto Gamer, did you manage to make it down to Nintendo Osaka after the launch of Tears of the Kingdom? No, I didn't. But I did notice that they had some of the items on the online shop mm. for a very limited time. <laughs> it all got scooped up very, very quickly. So, no, I wasn't able to get anything, unfortunately. Going to the Nintendo store in Osaka, it's a, it's a bit too far for me to go. I'm, I'm waiting for the Kyoto one to open yes. next, later this year. Mm. It's opening. So, unfortunately, I, I, I can't share any exciting tales of going to the Nintendo store. 
I guess I'll start with my adventure because I went on Friday. I took a day off work solely to play Zelda, but a lot of it was... I wanted to do that. (laughs) (laughs) A a lot of it was actually standing in line for Nintendo Tokyo. So uh, Nintendo Tokyo, of course, is part of Parko Shibuya, which is the big department store. And it opens up at 11 a.m., which is kind of late. So I thought, okay, I'll get there maybe 10 or so, or maybe even 10.30. And it should be okay because I think, well, it's a weekday. I don't think so many other people are taking off to play Zelda. I arrived at Shibuya Station, maybe 10-ish or so. And Shibuya Station also has a huge banner for Tears of the Kingdom right above the entrance, which is, again, really awesome. And of course, Yamanote Line in Tokyo, there's a bunch of Tears of the Kingdom ads. So this is adding to like the atmosphere feeling of when a big Nintendo game launches in Japan. It feels like the whole country is excited for it. And there's a ton of advertising everywhere. And so I went to Nintendo Tokyo I got there at 10.30, and turns out I am not alone at coming to Nintendo Tokyo on launch day because there's a ton of people there, especially a lot of overseas tourists, I have to assume. So it was really, really crowded. And my main fear is that, oh, all the stuff is going to be snatched up instantly because I wanted to buy a lot of the merch, and especially the big thing I wanted was the Amiibo, the Tears of the Kingdom Amiibo. So I got in, and... The way Nintendo Tokyo is, is that if you don't get there early, you have to do a timed entry ticket. And I didn't want to do that because I was afraid if I get there and then I'm too late and then my timed entry ticket is like two o'clock, well, this is just a lot of time wasted. But fortunately, I was able to go in there immediately. And there's just a mad dash for all the Tears of the Kingdom stuff. But really, realistically, they have a ton of stock. So you don't have to worry. Like I could have gotten there at six o'clock and still been able to buy everything. But I picked up a paraglider towel, which I think is my favorite thing. It looks like the paraglider from Tears of the Kingdom, but it's a towel. And, you know, I never thought, oh, I have too many towels. It's always the opposite where, oh, I'm, I'm out of towels or I can't find a towel. So stocking up on towels is a really smart thing to do. I also bought a pin badge of like the Corrupted Master Sword. And I got the Tears of the Kingdom gummies, which are like choo-choo gummies. And I also got the Amiibo. And I want to share a little bit about the Amiibo ordeal is that you entered in Nintendo Tokyo. And then if you want the Amiibos, there's a separate line for the Amiibos inside Nintendo Tokyo. So you have to get into like a line inside a store, which is a bit ridiculous. But we are in Japan where lining up is like a a major cultural element. So I lined up in the store to get the Amiibo and I lined up for definitely over 30 minutes just to get the Amiibo. And of course, I'm afraid that the Amiibo is going to get sold out by the time I get to the head of the line. But no, they had possibly millions of the Tears of the Kingdom Amiibo. So I was able to nab that. And also recently in Japan, they restocked all the Zelda Amiibos from years past. So I also picked up the Ocarina of Time Link, and I picked up the Guardian, the big Guardian Amiibo. And this was not something I expected to do when I went there. But when it's right in front of you, it's hard to be like, well, this is my only chance. So I'm either buying it or not. So you have to make that hard decision. And then I lined up for the register, which took one hour to get from having the Amiibo and having all my Zelda stuff to the register. Oh, I forgot to mention, I did buy a t-shirt. It does have the Zelda logo in Japanese, which is really cool. And actually the shirt, I didn't know this until today, it glows in the dark, the dragon spiral, and that glows up in the dark. So if you bought this t-shirt, be aware of it if you go to like a movie theater, because you might distract a lot of people. So it took me like two hours to, to get out of Nintendo Tokyo from entering it and then leaving with my stuff. But I got a lot of stuff, even though it took quite a while. 
And actually, I did go to Lobby Shibuya to pick up the Pro Controller, which is something they did not sell at Nintendo Tokyo, or they did, but it was reservation only. But I really love the Pro Controller as well. It looks really cool. And the gold, especially, it really pops. This one is really awesome looking if you like the aesthetic of Tears of the Kingdom. So, Dell and Genki, you guys also went to Nintendo Tokyo. What are your experiences like at that time? Dale, when did you go to Nintendo Tokyo? I went to Nintendo Tokyo on Saturday evening, Saturday night. And I'll I'll come back to I'll come back to my experience there in just a moment. But I originally I did not want to go to the Nintendo store. I wanted to get everything online because that's just so much more convenient. Mm. So Friday I was refreshing Nintendo's website constantly to see when they would update the thing. And when I could finally check it when I had a free moment, the stuff I wanted was immediately sold out. So I thought I was really disappointed and I was just gonna think okay i just won't get anything but then i did see some stuff on twitter that the nintendo store had plenty of stock so i i went in on the saturday night because i felt like i needed a break from playing as well and yeah i was surprised at just how much they had like the the t the black t-shirt i wanted that was sold out online the pin the Mm. same pin that was sold out online too so i was surprised they had plenty of them when i went to the nintendo store so i could snatch those up and as for the amiibo I wanted it, and actually I'd pre-ordered the Amiibo on Nintendo Online's website, but it won't ship until July. What? And and it's I don't know why, because I, I missed the first round of pre-orders, so the second round of pre-orders ship later. So I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, they must have just ran out of the supply. So I went to the Nintendo store. I was just shocked to see hundreds of them on the shelf. Yes. And you can't refund anything. You can't ref- cancel pre-orders from Nintendo's online store. So I don't have the Amiibo. I have to wait until oh. July. I-, I thought about buying another one and then just selling the other one later. But So I missed out on that. But the black T-shirt that I got, you got the green one. I got the black one. And it's a long sleeve T-shirt. And what's cool about it is the left arm is glow in the mm. dark. And it looks like Railroad's arm from the game. So... I quite like that one as well. The Pro Controller I pre-ordered from from Yodabashi Camera that arrived on the same day as Tears of the Kingdom. That's like you said. That's really that's really good. I I don't really collect controllers either, but I did need a new Pro Controller anyway, so it was good timing. And I should also mention that from Nintendo's website, I pre-ordered the pre-ordered. No, I just missed out on getting it the Splatfest Team oh, Power yes. t-shirt. So so that won't that won't ship until next month, but when they do the Splatfest, they did one for Pokemon. I have the Sprigatito Splatfest t-shirt and now I've got this Team Power t-shirt with Ganondorf that's coming very soon as well. So I must say as for the store itself, I was surprised it was not that busy. No numbered ticket could go straight in. It felt like 80% of the clientele were just foreign tourists passing through. Fun atmosphere. Yeah, I was absolutely shocked that I could just get in, get the stuff I wanted and get out. It was not a stressful experience. It sounded much yes. busier when you went first thing Friday morning, which is quite funny. You'd think Saturday night would be a bit bit more busy. So it was the opposite. What about you, Genki? You also visited Nintendo Tokyo, right? Oh, yeah. I went hmm. on Saturday morning. I, want, I, would, I would have liked to go on Friday, but I had work, so I don't think I could go there. So yeah, I think first thing Saturday morning, I went there and I think I went there. I think it opens at... 10, I think, on the... No, 11. Yeah, on Saturday and Sunday, it opens up earlier for oh, whatever yeah. reason. 
But on weekdays, yeah. it's 11. And then I went there 10 minutes early and there was already like quite a big line to get in there. Mm. But the ticket wasn't too bad. It was only like 10 minutes past 10 that I could go in. So I just had to wait around for 10 minutes after getting the ticket. And then I could go in. And yeah, it wasn't too crowded. It was okay. I would get, of course, there had lots of t- foreign tourists, as you guys said. But yeah, I picked up the, the, the Amiibo and also the Skyward Sword Amiibo. They didn't have any other Amiibos like the the Guardians or the... And then you had the Skyward Sword one and, and tons of Tears of the Kingdom Link Amiibos. But yeah, I managed to pick those two up. And uh, yeah, I, I just bought some gummies and a pin badge. <laughs> And yeah, that's all the Zelda merch I got. But yeah, it was really cool. Like there was a lot, like, quite, it wasn't too busy. So it didn't take too long. It took like half an hour to pick up all the stuff. So maybe I'm glad I didn't go on the Friday if it took that long. Yes. The moral of the story is don't go on launch day because <laughs> it, there's really no purpose. So the stock, I think we all underestimate like the stock they have. I was really afraid, oh, that Amiibo is going to be sold out in five minutes. Mm. But they have, I have to assume, thousands of that singular amiibo just in the back yeah because they were just refilling it over and over again so yeah tip is that you know don't worry on launch day you can spend your time playing the game and next day go buy some merch that's i think a smarter thing to do all right i think we could go for seven or eight more hours but i'll go ahead and let you all go but first let's get some promo out there where can people find you Yep, I'm all over the place. You can find me on YouTube, DPG, Dale Plays Games, where I'm reviewing mostly Nintendo games. If you're interested in Japanese life, culture, and travel, you can check out my other channel, Open World Japan, where I go on adventures out into Japan. And of course, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Dale underscore DPG. You can find me on Twitter mainly at Genki underscore JPN. That's G-E-N-K-I underscore JPN. And I tweet mainly about like pictures and insights about video games in Japan. And you can also find me on YouTube, Genki Gamer. And I'll post some unboxing videos and some reviews and some tours of gaming shops in Japan. So yeah, check me out there. I'm mainly on Instagram. You can check me out there. And I share pictures of stuff I've collected, Japanese gaming merch, mainly older stuff. But I do have some modern game interests as well, like Tears of the Kingdom. So come and check me out, send me a message, say hi, and see you there. Great. And the links to everything will be in the podcast description. Once again, a final thank you to Dale, Genki, and Kyoto Gamer for joining me. Now let's get into the news. Yes, Tears of the Kingdom is in the news section. Nintendo announced that it has sold 10 million copies in the first three days, making it one of the fastest selling Nintendo games ever. As a comparison point, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet also sold 10 million in the same time span. I mean, both games have a pretty similar quality open world, right? Needless to say, this is the biggest opening for a Zelda game ever, and Tears of the Kingdom is now the second best-selling Zelda title after Breath of the Wild. In Japan, it sold 2.24 million in the opening weekend, making it one of the fastest-selling games ever in the country. Game Data Library tweeted out the chart, and it's at number 7 squeezed in between Dragon Quest IX and Dragon Quest VIII. I mean, how absurd is this? Zelda is one of those franchises that is way more popular overseas than in its home country, but Breath of the Wild really hooked Japanese audiences, and now the series is massive. I mean, you love to see it. It might be hard to outsell Breath of the Wild considering the legs that game had. I mean, Scarlet and Violet hasn't outsold Sword and Shield yet, despite having a much bigger opening. 
but I think everyone is happy with the result. But you know what game had a bigger opening weekend? Splatoon 3. And the newest season, the Sizzle season, is starting on June 1st. Your typical additions, new weapons, gear, and maps. There's a map modeled after a mall called Barnacle and Dime, which is brand new. We are also getting Humpback Pump Track from Splatoon 2 returning as well. Some of the new weapons are the Paintbrush, which looks like a wider and slower inkbrush, and the S-Plat 92, which is modeled after the SNES Super Scope. The biggest new addition is a unique challenge mode where you can participate in special themed matches. The trailer had one where everyone had trizookas, another where the map was enshrouded in fog, a low gravity challenge. These look really cool and silly, almost like event matches in Smash. It looks like a fun, casual way to play the game if you haven't been grinding out gear abilities for the past nine months. Splatoon 3 was my game of the year last year, and I still play it every now and then. A new season is really the perfect time to jump back into the game if you haven't touched it in a while. And some sad news, Pac-Man 99 is shutting down this October. This is the 2021 Pac-Man themed Battle Royale game exclusive to NSO subscribers. I get it though, I have to wonder what the player base for this game is. Tetris 99 is still getting events and seems to be pretty active, but if you're like me, you probably played Pac-Man 99 for an hour and then never again. Locking a Battle Royale game, a genre that needs thousands of people playing at all moments, behind a paywall is a pretty risky move that maybe is not a sustainable one. Tetris 99 is really an anomaly and not the norm. I would like to see more NSO exclusive titles though. They don't have to be online either, just a short little game that only NSO subscribers can check out. But either way, I think Pac-Man will be all right. All right, let's wrap it up. Thanks as always for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app. Leave a five-star review as well. It really helps with visibility. The podcast is also available on YouTube, so like and subscribe there as well. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Tokyo Game Life or find the links in the podcast description. If you like the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and on social media. If there's anything you want me to talk about or cover, don't be shy. Just message me on Twitter. The next episode will be on June 4th. See you next time. Matane. Matane.